Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Carbide Content. I'm one of your co-hosts, John, and I'm joined by... Hello, I'm David of Contraption Collection. I am Grant of Fellowship Blades. I am Dalen of MachineWise. Fabulous. David, how is your week going? <laughs> uh, pretty good, I guess. Uh, an update. In episode three, I badly talked about trying to change... Uh, how I machine the handles, and so I did machine them that way, and I got them back from anodizing, and uh, the handles holes stayed the right size. Nice, that's and awesome. So, <laughs> and so I think I still don't know for sure if it's just like it's harder to be confident in the gauge pin. Uh, so what I what I'm doing is I was milling a hole in a uh, op one, and then flipping it over, cutting the back off. In op two, but this time I've put it into op two that I milled the hole with critical dimensions, and you know I still think it's I still wonder if it's possible that cutting that backside off could affect the hole dimension because I'm trying to you know it's like your guys's uh, pivot holes. I assume you're trying to hit like less than a thou tolerance, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, really? Like probably three tens for me. Yeah, and so I I can't go that precise probably, but I I want it less than a thou. And uh, I think not cutting off that backside might help, but even more helpful is is just having like more confidence when using a gauge pin. Um, yeah. I also got some 50 Rockwell blades back. Oh, um, nice. And I, th I think I can make that work in the sense that if they have warp or problems uh, or are just very flat, I can get them to the right level of scissor bend. And so... Nice. I That's think fantastic. I'm just gonna kind of stick with that for a while. I I still oh, yeah. I'm not trying to like mix up things too much, but I I have some uh, 440C blades as well. I've been working on, and so I'm kind of debating whether I do the 440C blades also at 50, or if I do 55. Um, maybe I don't know what's a smarter test, but I think I'm probably basically sticking with. 50 Rockwell for a little while because I, I think until I like really have more experience and I really uh, potentially even have you know help with other people making them or sophisticated grinding machines I think it it might be you know kind of the only solution right now yeah I mean yeah. I feel like 50 Rockwell is probably going to be a lot harder than like most off-the-shelf scissors anyway yeah, I, I scissors I've heard are they're supposed to be a spring, not a blade. And so while I have seen high-end scissors that are like 60 Rockwell or higher, um I, I think that's it varies a lot. It, it varies definitely more than than knives. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, again, there's like a ton of things that just need to be tested in the market. And so I'm really hoping you know, I get some more blades back because I it was a small run. So I hope the next blades that are already in the mail that I get back will be the ones that I I actually sell a pair. Nice, I, that's exciting. I, yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's my good news. I wanted to get out and uh, that's it. Nice. nice. How's oh, yeah. uh your new service grinder, uh, Dalen? It is life changing. <laughs> uh, it is officially my favorite machine in the shop. 
Uh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah, it's like I. It's so hard to even like compare it to running like the Tormok Surface Grinder. Um, having full three-axis automatic movement is phenomenal. Having reliable finishes is great. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 sorry. Oh. Did you uh, <laughs> did you figure out your breaker thing? You got that squared away when you got the new breaker in, right? Uh, oh yeah. So um, I looked through the manual. Uh, it 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 came with three sets of instruction manuals. All of them are the same thing, but for different models of grinder. Gotcha. Oh, I don't know why it did that. Um, but uh, it was a 30 amp breaker that I needed. So I, I guessed correctly, fortunately. Nice. Yep. That's cool. And you didn't have any other issues besides just the getting it started up. No, just besides the fact that I, I phased it backwards. Well, it was yeah. just phased wrong. Um, turns out VFDs don't care about, about, you know, phasing. Right. I'm I never sure would have thought that. Out. I'm sure you figured it out like almost immediately. The thought <laughs> crossed my mind immediately. Um, but it still took me two days to be brave enough to swap the phasing on it. So something did care about phasing though. It was like the hydraulic pump. It was the hydraulic pump cared. Yep. Everything but the VFD basically cared about phasing. So I was running the hydraulic pump backwards. Okay. Yep. But, but Um, the, the wheel will always spin clockwise. Yeah. Yeah, the huh. wheel still spun clockwise because the VFD. I actually talked to a uh, to an electrician by trade about this, and I believe the way he described VFDs were um, black magic unicorns. <laughs> it's always good to hear from an electrician. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's that's good. <laughs> yeah, electricity is one of those things where it's like it really I try is. to understand it, and I you know it's there's some magic involved. Uh, yeah, seriously. Definitely. So yeah, once I got that sorted out, it was working great. It did come with I think one one broken switch on the control. Uh, I just took the I just took the front panel off the control and took the switch apart and fixed it. So that wasn't too bad. Nice. Yeah. Have you have you like gone over uh, parts with a test indicator? See like how flat they are. <laughs> so the only test indicator in my shop broke about two weeks ago. <laughs> oh wow. Um. Everything's good I, then. Yeah, so I don't actually. Yeah, everything's perfect. It's all within spec. Yeah. <laughs> um, all I did is uh, I just dressed in the chuck, which surprisingly it only took about eight tenths to dress that chuck in fully. Oh, that's wow. so nice. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. Um, so I mean, I don't. I haven't checked anything with indicator. I don't know if there's any sweep in the table. Um, However, relative to the spindle, it's it's perfectly parallel and flat. My parts are coming off within 50 millionths from end to end of table in terms of wow. parallelism, which yeah. is phenomenal. I am so, so jealous. <laughs> so you're using coolant when grinding now. I am. And I don't think this machine ran with coolant before I got it uh, because mm. every single coolant drain orifice was clogged with about 20 to 30 years worth of ground carbide. Nice. Yeah, that was fun. So I flooded the shop a few times trying to work the kinks out of the coolant system, but it's working really good now. So are you using the same coolant 
that uh, your machine uses? Yeah, I am. I'm just, I'm just using a higher concentration. I think okay. I'm running about 12 to 14-ish percent. I don't have a refractometer, so I'm just going by eye. But... <laughs> When's your birthday? I got to buy you a couple things. <laughs> <laughs> it actually just happened. It was July 9th. Oh, shit. Okay. It's going to be waiting a year to make sure things are in spec then. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all these little things that I know I just need to buy that I would buy if I keep if I remembered to. Yeah. Um refractometer, a couple good dial or yeah, test indicators, things like that. But what uh what coolant concentration do you guys run? I'm at ten bricks. Yep. Uh I think seven to eight. Okay. I, I try to do nine actually. Nice. I shoot for ten typically on a mill. Depends on the coolant as well. What coolant are we all running? I, I always forget. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. You're good. Uh, well, I say I always forget. It's it's like whatever Tormok sells. Oh, that's stuff. Okay. The it's 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 blue looking. Not when it's uh, not when it's saturated, but like the oil is blue. Um. Yeah, I, I I think so. Or well, one of them is I've I've actually maybe tried both. Let me just look real okay. quick. What are you guys using? Um, I'm I had a a fever dream coolant <laughs> day, and I went and found a research paper by Boeing, and uh, they recommended sim cim cool six ten for any titanium and like Inconel and aerospace parts. Yeah. Um, mm. and so that's what I'm running. And How's it, it been working for you? frankly amazing like not only oh, so it's a, it's a full synthetic so i have yeah. had zero bacterial issues um nice. even in my shop which is like 100 degrees on a good day <laughs> yep so that's incredible for me and it, it holds its concentration well obviously it's still evaporating because the shop's hot uh, right but the, the actual oil stays in the in the coolant just fine nice um my tool life went up noticeably by oh, wow. at least double Holy um, crap. My finishes got better. Like it, literally everything improved. I was using whatever McMaster generic coolant. Um, oh yeah, because you went from like a like a really low low quality to a really high quality. Exactly. Oh um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean I don't know what the McMaster coolant is. I know it's not Qualichem, but it's it's you know generic. It's probably a decent brand, but very generic. Like exactly. Or something. Yeah. Uh but the, but this stuff, you know, Boeing knows what they're doing. Um this stuff's yep. is, is sweet. It's expensive. Nice. It's probably it's like twice the twice what a what a Qualichem bucket is. What's a yeah, five so gallon I'm, bucket I'm, cost? What? So I'm using Qualichem Extreme Cut 251C. Oh nice. Um, oh 251. Okay. I think so. So that's it's on Tormok's website for uh see so huh. is it like uh it's uh sixty dollars for uh what is it, a gallon or something? And uh it says it's for machining to do a five percent dilution. And uh, for sawing is ten percent, so I guess yep. I'm running it heavier than I need to. But yeah, I I never like I going know. below about seven percent. I feel like I'm like it's too watery. I, feel, I, I I'm afraid of rust at that point. It's in my experience, it's always better to be a little bit heavy than light. Yeah, I, I feel like my water evaporates super fast out of my coolant tank. Oh yeah, I go through about in the summer. Well, before the air conditioning, I would go through almost ten gallons a day just just to evaporation. That's oh my god, what I'm doing. <laughs> uh huh. Damn. Yep. It's two fifty. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, just two fifty. Two fifty. Yeah, that's what I'm on as well right now. 
Yeah. Yep. Oh, I do, do want to go to 251 because 251 has uh, chlorine in it for stainless and titanium. Like, okay. It's literally the only difference per the salesman. Yep. So I almost wonder if you could just buy 251C and then mix them. My salesman's been trying to push me to, I think, 291, which is their like titanium and steel specific coolant. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. So I might you try that at some like point. You have allergic reactions to the coolant? I don't. I don't either. I've, I, I kind of grew up with Qualicem 250C since I was about 15. Um, I don't know. Well, maybe it's the chlorine or something. I feel like like the edges of my fingers get like all red and uh, itchy. And I, I'm not possible. sure. Maybe it could be uh, something else, but I, I feel like when I use the machine, often that happens. Yeah. Is your, coolant like, pretty, is your coolant pretty fresh and like clean or is it kind of smelly and bacterial? I don't. I don't think it's seems bad. I, I've. Okay. I've. Uh, you know, refreshed it a few times. Uh, you know, I don't know how often I should because I'm not doing as crazy heavy of machining as you guys. Yeah. Right. Um. But. Uh, yeah. Like I've I've tried to clean out the coolant tank and replace it. Last time I did it, I mean, it's probably been many months, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. It's been a long time since I changed. <laughs> out, not gonna lie, my first batch of coolant on my on my main mill lasted me about a year and a year and three months, give or take. I swapped. Yeah. I, I refreshed it when I moved shops because I had to drain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stuff was pretty. The coolant itself was fine, but it had so much crap on top, oil and. Uh, other probably some bacterial growth just because I didn't have a skimmer. Gotcha. Mm. I have yeah, a skimmer now, I, unfortunately. Yeah, I installed a skimmer last year on mine. Oh, hey, nice. Okay. That'll help hey, take time for life. John, do you have a lot of oil in your coolant tank? Uh, I mean, the skimmer picks up quite a lot. Oh, oil. you have a skimmer. Yeah. But before that, I didn't really notice too bad, but I was also using like a little small uh, pump just to move fluid around. What oh, really yeah. happens is oil gets stuck near the the pump itself because they're in separate chambers. Right. Uh, yep. So I end up using like the uh, pig oil absorbent mats and just manually picking that oil up because the it won't it doesn't basically float in the main tank, so the skimmer won't pick it up. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It, and it may be the coolant I'm using, or or maybe it's so rich that they're all the same. But I have like zero oil problems in my house. Oh, interesting. Like, I, I don't know if it's just not using a ton of oil or there's not enough, like, leaks for it to... I mean, all oil is eventually getting to the coolant system as it pushes out the ways and shit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Like, yeah, I have very little oil. I mean, like, it's probably more than a tablespoon, but what I've seen is, like, a tablespoon. You I have, have more than that, for sure. Do what, John? Skimmer? You have one or not? No, it's just, yeah, stagnant, not even moving tank huh. uh there is some like residue that builds up but i'm pretty sure it's more stainless dust residue that's just kind of conglomerating with things uh by the pump yeah. it's not like actual oil are you uh filtering chips like do you have like a pre-screen before they go into the tank or there's like just nothing there i have um well so i i was i still haven't set up my awesome 
filter system, Dalen. I, I went <laughs> I went and bought a bunch of things to filter. So it just has a screen on the tank, and then there's a there's a filter after the pump before it gets into the system. And I change out the pump filter quite often. Um, or I, I mean, I I wash it out. I guess it's it's just a metal mesh. Yeah. So I was I was just curious about like the waterfall drop into the the tank itself. So I wonder if like you have oil that's stuck to like chips, and that's why you don't see it or something. Like definitely could be. Yeah. At the bottom. I for a, for a while I had uh, cheesecloth, but at some point it was like one day where I I changed out the cheesecloth, and then at the end of the day the cheesecloth was completely chips again, yeah. and I went, ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> so. <laughs> So that part of my uh, routine completely just disappeared. <laughs> gotcha. The uh, chip tray thing that Haas sells is actually pretty good with the little screens you can buy. I don't know what, what your year mill is, but... It's a 19. Um, it's, I mean, year 19. <laughs> well, uh, tw- yeah, 2019. Um, gotcha, yeah. My, my uh, service grinder's from the year 19, actually. Is it 1919? Uh, no, I was making a joke because oh. it's a million years old. <laughs> I wouldn't um, it. It's, I, think, I think it's actually like 1920. <laughs> the tray thing really works good, though, from Haas. Like, you buy the tray and then they sell like the little the screens or whatever. And honestly, for you, you probably just change it once a week or every month yeah. or something. Because I just, I'll, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Really good. I'll have to check because what's, I mean, I don't know what's on your mill or what tray because mine has, mine has a tray. Yeah, it's and, and like a top of it. Okay, so it's another mesh because that—that's what I was looking for. Just like a finer mesh to put on top of it that I can dump chips off of. Yeah. Um, because I was doing the cheesecloth th- thing, and same as you, I was like, it's a pain to clean. But the way the the Haas one works, at least it's like elastic. So I just oh. like, dump the tray into a bin and then just put it back with the elastic still on it because it doesn't that, like get stuck or anything. I might have to get one of those because that sounds pretty perfect. Yeah, let me. I need that as well. I think my coolant tank is already about ten percent chips. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it happens really the, fast too. The Mighty Viper is a pretty good machine all around. Uh, it definitely lacks in the in the coolant department. The coolant tank and system is borderline atrocious. Mm. Is it worse than a Haas? Oh, significantly. Oh wow. Funny enough, like the coolant pumps are fantastic. It has the most pressure and flow I've seen that isn't a high pressure pump. Wow. Um, but the actual coolant tank and coolant exit and chip filtering is basically not there. Interesting. That's a, that's a, that's a new approach. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I guess you can't clog filters if you don't have them. <laughs> oh, there's no there's no filters to clog. Don't you worry. Wow. So once a week, I have to actually remove the coolant pumps and clean about two gallons of chips off of the coolant pump uh, filter. Oh, you know, just a the little X. filter. Yeah, I you definitely probably should put a inline mesh because if there's chips in the tank and you know there's chips in the tank, they're going yeah. to into they're, your pump. So it's a it's a back drain style. So the the coolant runs through and then goes down two channels and on, on either side of the casting and then it goes out the back of the machine chips oh, and yeah. together okay. and then it just dumps those into a into a like a little mesh bucket on each side that then drains into the tank but gotcha. the mesh is the mesh coarse. is moderately coarse so like all of my blade chips like all the hard milling chips yeah that's like 90 percent of what gets into the tank <laughs> Ooh, only the good stuff only the stuff that's yeah. really gonna do some damage <laughs> oh yeah i love i love recycling uh, really small 
uh, hardened chips back into my cutting edges. Yep. That's mm-hmm. yeah. After so I now that I'm mostly not using coolant on my overnight uh, hard milling, I I see a lot more of those blade milling chips because they're not getting flushed into the tank. And yep. um, my goodness, they are dangerous little needles. Oh uh, yeah, I have a hole stuck <laughs> in my hands right now that I can't get out, so I have little like warts. Oh yeah, no, me too. Like I ever since I stopped using coolant overnight, I just keep getting more and more hardened steel splinters into my hand. Yep. You have a chip auger, right? No, I don't. <laughs> so how how are they not? Are you like, oh, you're just scooping them out? Yeah, every every couple of days, I just spend okay, the morning yep. shoveling chips, which is just awful. Yeah, because even when I wasn't running coolant, um, you know, it would coat the machine in a nice hardened steel chip dust. Oh but yeah. But then the second I start the morning run again, coolant runs and it just wipes it. It just washes it all into the coolant tank. Yeah. Well, yeah. So like, whenever I'm, yeah, I clean off my pallet. Um, which, you know, usually I just do it with a coolant gun, no big deal. But mm-hmm. usually I have titanium chips making a nice, like, bed. And then the hard milling chips just sit on top. Or sometimes they get nestled in. But either way, whenever I'm digging them out, it's just a mixture of... Because, like, titanium chips is nothing. It's like aluminum. You know, yeah, soft, yeah, soft big chips. But every once in a while, I just get a nice needle stuck in. Eighth inch, oh, yeah. eighth inch long, but, like, tooth out thin yep. needle. Oh, yeah, they're, they're wonderful. Yeah, my my machine has a uh, zero chip management. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's probably all, about on par with mine. It just all sits at the bottom and like on one side of this flat, essentially almost flat surface is the uh, yep. is the drain yep. to the coolant. And so I have an issue where it's like, uh oh, the coolant pressure is going down. The tank's like low. It's evaporated. But really, it's mm-hmm. just it's like all in the casting. It's all in the it's all in the chips sitting on the casting and and like yep. being blocked by the chips, mm-hmm. and uh, so you can like easily overflow the machine. Oh yeah, uh, and, yeah. Both uh, both Tormox I ran with coolant. Um, it was an experience. The the next generation ones or whatever the M or the MX now it has like a drawer I think so like there's like some yeah chip you can pull it out. Mm-hmm. So that's I think they're actually pretty. They're pretty similar to. Uh, I don't think many people even know about these machines, but the Haas office mills. Oh yeah, yeah, I have a friend who has one of those. Oh really? Cool. But yeah, the shop I used to work at had like, like ten or twelve of them. Nice. How um, how are those things? Are they good? They're they're funky. Uh, okay. So they're an ISO twenty taper. Weird. So if you thought if you thought BT thirty was small, you know the difference in size between a Cat forty and a BT thirty. Yeah, it's pretty big. Uh, the size from a Cat 30 or from a BT 30 to an ISO 20 is like twice the step down. Oh my goodness! They're adorable little little tool holders. <laughs> that, um, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I think some of them were twenty thousand RPM. I think some were thirty, and I think we had one that was forty thousand RPM. These are like CM ones, right? Yeah, CM ones. Yep. Uh, we had one with a with the fourth axis rotary on it. That was pretty fun. Hmm. That, the that's motion, almost, they're pretty cramped in there. They are. The what? motion's really laggy on them. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever, like, jogged a machine before and, like, the acceleration is really low. So oh, yeah. after you stop moving the hand wheel, it's still trying to get to where it was supposed to go. Yeah. So yeah. the acceleration on them is a bit low. Um, they're decently accurate. Uh, probably low because it'd tip over the machine if it was fast. <laughs> yeah, right? Seriously. Um, and they're, I didn't know they'd be this expensive. For right? Oh, they're, yeah, they're Really, f- f- for the price, they're kind of bad, in my opinion. 
Well, I, I think their price is sixty four grand. Oh my god! Oh, they went up. Yeah. God, prices. Are going I, I up think like it's crazy. it's thirty six pocket tool changer on it though. <laughs> oh well, they're so small. I, yeah. Is I that a know. is that an umbrella style? That's a side mount, actually. I've never. Oh, whoa, what? Ours were all umbrella style. Yeah, the, I I'm guess fine. the umbrella is a twenty pocket. Okay. Yeah, the tool changers on the like the umbrella style tool changers kind of sucked. It would drop tools a lot, or it wouldn't grab it right, and then it'd go to forty thousand RPM and just fling it out of the spindle. That's always fun. <laughs> nice. And then also, uh, limit switches would always get packed with chips, and then they'd try to home the wrong oh, direction, and the oh, operators geez. would be like, "What's happening?" and let it just crash itself. Great. So every literally every day, I would have to take at least one way cover off of one of them. Oh man, that's yeah. rough. We had Ostex in once a week on average. Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, they had a fair bit of machines. I think they had like fifteen-ish hoses or so. Yeah, I, that's that's an interesting question that I've I've been well, I had thought about for a long time. Is especially with you guys that have owned and operated and bought Tormox. What do you recommend with your experience as like somebody's first CNC mill? Because mm. for me, first. Well, so to clarify when I was because I was specking out a Tormach, and by the time I got to where I wanted, it was almost like thirty grand. And was then that an MX. Yeah, it was. It was like eleven hundred MX. You know, good. Yep. Um, right. But like my VF two was forty. So like with yeah, right ten extra grand, and I got a whole lot more machine. It started yeah. to make me wonder, like, if Tormox. I've definitely really... got some opinions on that. I'm gonna let David go first. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I um, I think it's so 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 dependent on what you want to do because I think most people who want to make a product, you probably shouldn't buy a mill at all. Like, if you you know, it's expensive having someone else make your your work. But the biggest mistake I keep making with hobbies is like. I'll get into this hobby to make it myself and overall it'll be cheaper. I'll get into woodworking <laughs> and make all my furniture. And like, it never ever works out that way. Every, every project will always cost like multiple times what you think and take way more, uh, oh, yeah. think, you know, you'll make mistakes, uh, and, you know, it'll cost more and take more time. And so, you know, it, like I, even, I think we think about this where I have these special pins and so it's like, I really want uh, a live tooling lathe, but to spend, you know, a hundred grand plus on a lathe, you know, I'd, I'd have to make like 10,000 pins, like even paying an expensive machine shop, I have to make so many pins for it to be more worth it for me to have that right. lathe. And, yep. you know, and I care about machining. And so, you know, I want that eventually, but if, if you're mm -hmm. not just loving machining and doing what we do just for the excuse of buying machines, you know, you should, you should be looking at other ways to, to pay for things because it's, it's not cheaper most of the time to make it yourself. Uh, and the time and skill revolve, you know, machining such a big field that takes so much education. If you're a hobbyist and you're just, you know, want you do love machining you do want to just do it then i think you can start with with anything you can start with an x carve you can start with with whatever router um i think that uh that's an option to go and, and like you know now there's like proven cut and saunders and all this stuff showing that if you have the right tool paths you can cut so much on such a, a light machine 
Um, but you have to be prepared that, you know, if you are using a, a CNC router, you might uh, be limited to softer materials and, and that can be yep. okay. Or, or you might even just want to do 3D printing if, if, uh, if you like making stuff and you want a physical version of it, but, you know, not everything has to be titanium. Um, and then uh, if you care about machining and you really, really care about machining, then uh, maybe a Bridgeport's the right solution. You know, maybe you don't want CNC because, you know, it can be so nice having CNC, but there is joy in in uh, turning the wheels and, and, and making stuff that way. And so if you really want to work with metal, you know, not having to baby speeds and feeds and, and, and having the horsepower and the, the table size of a Bridgeport or something like that, you know, which you'd inevitably buy it used, you know, it's going to be cheaper than a Tormach. And so uh, there's definitely people where the Tormach makes sense. And, and I think it, you know, like I wasn't completely sure what I wanted to do when I first got it. And it's like lucky that I'm attracted to things that are small, like uh, knives or, yeah, or right. scissors or whatever because it's like even if i'm hard milling it's not a big deal if the part's only a few inches long uh but you know a lot of people if if you want to make uh, you know car parts or something then it, it becomes a lot more complicated what machine makes sense for you yeah well, um, that was that was way more well-worded than what i had so <laughs> sorry Oh, no, that was great. Um, I mean, yeah, most of that I definitely agree with. Um, I wouldn't hesitate to start again on a Tormach if I had to. I think the original, like, 440, 770, 1100s were, like, in the perfect spot for what they are. uh, Let me ask you, Dalen and then David after, what price did you get your Tormach at? I spent $7,745 total for my entire... 440. Gotcha. So that truly is now entry level. That's not comparable. It was, to it was the base package Tormach 440. Yeah, small as you can get. Yes, I actually took some things out of the base package so I could add in the probe. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I mean, I don't I don't remember exactly what it was, but and I bought it with my dad, um, but that was definitely over 20,000 and uh, we got a ton of accessories and stuff that it might have nice. been better to hold off on initially. Yeah, I was I was fortunate in that I knew exactly what I needed to get started because I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I feel like the MX line. I really want to run an MX with the servos and everything, and the and the BT thirty spindle, just to see what it's like compared to a you know not much more expensive real VMC. Yeah, well, like, I, I want to sit with in the same room, and this is something that, like, Saunders could do. I want right. to sit in the same room with an MX and a Mini Mill. Yeah. Which is essentially similar price points, mm-hmm. uh, similar target market. Like, yep. is it even worth it to deck out an MX if your price is the same as a Mini Mill? Or right. is a Mini Mill even that much worth it? And you should save a little bit and get a VF1 or VF2. I'm not sure if the Mini Mills are all that worth it with these prices these days. When I was trying to build one out, uh, with like the standard 600 instrument at Rapids, um, I think it was an 8,000 RPM spindle, right? So, like, it's pretty bare bones. 
There, there's one more reason I went with the Tormach. Um, yep. A mini mill will blow a Tormach out of the water for sure. Uh, but I partially went with the Tormach because I had used mini mills. Uh, okay. Is because of uh, something Grimsmo and Saunders I talked about, which is it's so much less expensive if you make a mistake. Yes, also that. It, they can't hurt themselves. You know, I, I didn't reason. have... And I still am not like the most experienced machinist. And... Uh, but, you know, you obviously faster rapids and stuff like that can be dangerous, too, if you don't know what you're doing. Like, yep. you lose a finger. Uh, but uh, it's also you you mess up the spindle on the mini mill. You have to have someone come in and it costs thousands of dollars. Yep. Uh, John Grimsmo replaced his for like five hundred dollars by himself when he messed yeah, up his exactly. spindle on his torn box. I, yeah. I remember that video. I like that video. And so. <laughs> Like that's that's another thing to think about is is like oh totally don't get hung up on the speed of the rapids and the RPM and all this stuff you're not going to be doing huge volume initially or you know probably not and so just uh you know if if it's going to take you more time to do the programming in the fusion and the uh, uh, just prototyping everything and so. If it's a six-minute cycle time or a twelve-minute cycle time, you know that's nothing compared to all the the programming time. If you're only yeah. making one part, and so yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, that is a, a good benefit to the Tormox is they won't hurt themselves. I, you know, you can make a mistake in a Haas where you like throw the whole vice out of the oh, machine. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I mean you can potentially. Yeah, if you get like a really good sideways I, hit on the spindle. <laughs> Like in an X and Y, you can, I mean, you can tweak all kinds of things. Yeah, I've definitely moved vices. You know, have you? Oh, man. You know, there's, I've seen shots where there's like, you know, a big mark in a cinder block wall yep. or something. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I think it's going to be less likely for that kind of thing to happen with a, right. a Tormach. Was it one of you guys who sent that 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 grinder crash video? Oh, yeah, that was me. I, w- I was looking at shops to outsource things, too, and they posted it on their oh, Facebook yeah. page. Oh, dude, that was so horrifying. <laughs> I mean, like, because I've not that I've, well, actually, I have run machines that big, but not grinders. Um, and But in my old shop, we had a vertical lathe that was same <laughs> level of terrifying of Oh, they, those things are big and scary. Oh, they're massive. And just the amount of pure oh. torque that is happening there. Because, I mean, they would spin a thousand pound block like. Oh, easy. Well, they would spin it like, I don't know, at least 200 RPM or, or, or oh, yeah. much higher. Like, utterly terrifying. Mm-hmm. And the vertical lay that we had, it used to have a full enclosure. But if you look at one side, there's a giant hole that's like three feet in diameter and i was like hey what's that about and they're like oh yeah we threw a block 20 feet that was like a thousand pound like a cannon yep. not a cannonball like yep. like a like a trebuchet <laughs> yeah seriously those things are horrifying the first trial i ever programmed actually was a six foot diameter cast brass impeller that went on a vertical oh lift. my god that's the first thing you ever programmed? Uh, that was the first production job I programmed, yeah. I did a little bit of practice before that okay. on some mill work. You say <laughs> uh, I mean, the shop threw me in freaking blind, and uh, the, the, the lathe operator slash, you know, setup guy, uh, super, super awesome guy and really nice and helped me out a bunch, and I'd post out the program, give it to him, and he'll walk up to me, be like, 
what the hell is this? Why are all of what are all of these extra moves on the lead-ins and all that? I'm like, I don't know. It's what the software gave me. <laughs> So that was a good learning experience. Yeah, I, I much rather be in a shop that makes tiny oh, things. Oh, yeah. Cause... I'll never work in a shop that does big work. If oh. I use a crane to load a part, I won't make it. Yeah, I'm I, just end of story. I'm definitely there. That, I mean, my my first job, all we did was big parts. Uh, mm-hmm. I never ran a six foot pillar, but you know, we'd run three foot, right. three foot, you know, cube gate valves, and and I I, t- I think I told you guys one time, like I almost dropped one on my foot. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, strap safety, because the shop wouldn't buy good straps. Yeah, and it, it's like it's nothing crazy, but man, you one wrong move and it's over. Where you know, mm-hmm. worst case I'm gonna do in my shop is scrap a handle. Okay, big deal. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. No, I like when the parts are small enough mm-hmm. that you can do like ten setup parts yeah. and yep. not care. I've been lucky that pretty much every part that I've had to load onto a machine, I've been able to lift my like on my own. Uh, that is nice. And I plan to keep it that way for my entire life. No, I like the perfect size of part is like stuff that you could hold in your hand. Mm -hmm. It's like a hand size. I'm definitely more interested in Um, like small, like even micro machining. I did a little bit of micro machining at my previous job. There's the people who make parts that are so small. You can't tell if they're a chip or the part. I I love those. Oh yeah. Current level stuff. The, The cycle time's like a second. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'd love to like get into watch making stuff. Oh, like, yeah. cool. It's just a uh, gears making gears is such a specialized industry. There's all different kinds of, you know, gear hobbing machines and other yeah. various related equipment. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting how the best way to make gears is often like you have to have a gear shaped type of thing going on already. Right. Like a you know, a spiral cutter that's like a worm gear mm-hmm. or the like they just like literally broach like the edge all the way around yeah. with gears. Yeah, those are cool. Anything going on for you, John? Uh the only thing I had this week was I tried those new four forty C inserts and they work a lot better. Do they? So, nice. Yep. So that's what makes them better? They're, so the last inserts I was using were the seventeen four H900 and the 440C inserts are like 58 Rockwell, I want to say. And the blades are 62. Okay. So the, I guess, a test you can do is if you can push the lock bar up against the right handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's not supposed to actually, you're not supposed to be able to push it all the way because essentially if you can push it all the way, you're deforming the insert. So Makes sense, yeah. Unless you have so much play in your pivot and stop in that you can do that, but right, yep, it's it's not the case for this. So it and it was being the lock bar. So the new oh. ones you can't move them almost at all. Like you nice on it, and they move like ten percent maybe. Awesome, that's awesome. So Any, um... they, and they don't like lock stick or anything. So luckily, nice. Mostly, I guess that's mostly a geometry thing versus material thing because I was worried. Okay. That it was going to be hard, and then for some reason it would lock stick, but it doesn't act right. different whatsoever. Sweet. That's awesome. The only, Obviously, the only downside with going to 440C is you actually have the foil wrap and mm-hmm. heat treat them. With, yep. H- with 17.4, you just throw it in the... In the yeah, oven. right. Are <laughs> you finishing any dimensions after heat treat? Yeah, so they're actually getting surface ground, so that's okay. like, you call that op one. So basically yep. surface ground the bottom, and then the 
the tops get milled using like a pit bull clamp. So I mill like three at a time out of one block. And then, okay. then they get screwed down because that op two on the machine basically reveals tapped holes and they get held b- yep. via those tapped holes. And then basically the outside uh, contour is cut. And that's when nice. the actual lock face is cut and everything. Yep. So it works okay. It's not very fast to like I mean, yeah. a lot of them, but yeah. I mean, like, what's the cycle time on one? Uh, for one, because you have to, you basically like rough out three at a time, and then okay, you or like a batch of three. One. Yeah, so I guess there, it's under twenty minutes to do three. You could probably it's go horrible. Yep. Yeah, what's I mean, for cool. as critical as the part is, that's a that's that's probably that's not that bad. Yeah, and the, the thing is, like seventeen four cuts so easy, and tools last forever. And then yeah, it does. You're hard milling mm-hmm. essentially at this point, and I'm hard yep. milling from a solid. Right. So that's the only like downside, I guess. But yep. yeah, it's kind of like our our blades, you know, they're getting hard milled from basically solid. Yeah. So yep. that's like a big stress relief off me because that was the one of one of the last things that I was like still nice, you know, kind of. Yep. It's know. proven reliable or, or repeatable, I guess. Yeah. So like basically if anyone their lock bar or anything fails, then I'll basically warranty it and swap it. Like nice kind of thing. Awesome. Do you how do you um tune in your lock engagement and your and your detent? So the detent, basically I figured out what detent I liked, and then Mm -hmm. it gets probed and ground in. Nice. And basically recorded. So what I do is just try to grind in and probe. Like it's actually pressed in the mill and height probed. So I don't exactly like once I found one that I liked, mm-hmm. then I just kept doing that, and then I just cool. record every knife kind of thing. Nice. There's been so, no issues with like uh, positional repeatability from knife to knife. Nope. As far as detent goes, they're almost always perfect. I don't have any nice. issues with them. Which That's is good. awesome. And then the only other things I can adjust are the lock insert, like how far the face actually sticks out. Yep. And then the stop pin, if you make it shouldered, and usually they're not. Usually they're just a straight. Okay. Like a, a uh, 101 foul size pin. Okay. So like most of the time during assembly, does it just lock up where it should? Like, is there really any tuning involved in the actual lockup? Really? The only thing I've had to mess with, which is, which is really frustrating is the, the lock bar insert itself needing like an adjustment of like five tenths. Yeah. Oh, so it's like one time you can go straight with no like uh wear comp essentially. Uh-huh. And then the next time it's like, okay, it's just a little too long. It doesn't engage high enough. Yeah. It only ends up being like five tenths because it's it's sliding up on like a seven and a half degree angle. Yeah, it's so a five tenths is a fair amount. Yeah. And it's like it's kind of frustrating because right. like how do you make that really repeatable? And like you'll get there eventually, but at, yep. at this point it's like, try one. Okay, it doesn't work. Right. Could you probe it? No, because of the way the the fixture is they sit flat and the mm-hmm. face lock insert is too um not high enough even for the small the small probe tip i have Dang. and then i think i want to say it's probably like a a um tolerancing thing between the stop pin the blade mm-hmm. itself and yeah it's probably where it's coming from yeah it's a it's a tolerant stack up yeah so between five tenths is actually pretty impressive honestly yeah, and it's, you know, it's taken a little while to get here, but yep. I feel like finally I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, like I can make 20 of these now. 
And nice. At least I don't, I won't scrap like 10 of them. They're right. <laughs> right. So how much longer until you get multiple knives a day? Oh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> have sales always, been good? Always working to it. What's that? Have, have sales been good? Like demand and all that? Yeah. Demand is significantly higher than <laughs> my production. Hey, awesome. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So you said you you press and grind. Them? So the the detents the actual ceramic ball that engages the knife blade when it's in the closed position is yeah. is pressed into the bottom handle on the mill like right after it's been milled, and then uh-huh. it gets ground with a diamond uh, tipped cutter. To a flat. are you doing that in the mill on this on the ceramic detent itself? Yeah, yeah, but you're 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 like putting a diamond bit in the mill and grinding ceramic in yep. the mill. Yep. Yep. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, also, it's such a tiny amount. Uh, I don't worry about it whatsoever. Yep. The thing I what's the that? thing I love is that you're actually pressing it in on the mill with the mill. The yeah. spindle is pushing yeah. in. Yeah. I, I love stuff like that. Yeah. The the probing too is like is also a big thing because you can actually record it then because it gets tracked in a spreadsheet. And yep. you go, oh, this knife feels actually different. And you'll notice that, like, you know, the detent was pressed in only, like, one thou more kind of thing. Oh, wow. It actually makes a big difference. That's impressive. So so when you do the grinding, is that um, just to get the height perfect? Or do you want, like, a flat spot? No, I want a flat spot. But it's also to grind okay. it to a specific, like, known flat that I like distance-wise, height-wise. Yep. And uh, I'm sorry, I've, I, <laughs> I can't like it's uh, the uh, the ball goes on um, like the the tab, yep, um, the, the lockup. Yeah, OK. Yep. And that's that's the actual bar itself that's moving up. It's a spring, essentially. And yep. so that's what, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. grabs a hole in the blade and that's what keeps it shut. And then that's what basically preloads the blade when you go to open it. And that kind of sets how like fast it'll come out but if you set it too hard the blade's really hard to open kind of thing but if you set it too light you might not have enough kind of preload to get it to you know fully swing open kind of thing so it's kind of a what do you want personally and then a balancing act and then right some people they hate it one way or another so (laughs) yeah you can't please everyone sadly yeah you go for what you like and then you know hopefully some people like it and some people don't, but yep. from what I can tell, like it's in a really, really good uh, middle ground. Yeah, it felt great to me when I uh, tried it at Blade. Yeah, so hell yeah. So, do you feel like uh, what's interesting to me is because it's on this bending spring tab, that means you know you have this super precision ground thing, but then it still is kind of dependent on the the spring being bent the right amount right so it at first when you think about it like it it seems like that but if you remember the flat is only touching the blade when the blade is like over the spring itself so the blade is actually flat and the spring is flat the spring only moves up past the blade okay yeah i guess that makes sense yeah so that's why like the height distance matters when you initially press it because you want them to be parallel like you're saying when they right. slide against each other. Um, and that's why the height stuff really matters, because if they're not, that height's not set right, it will be slightly slanted, because the spring oh, yeah. had a little, bit, a little bit of a push. So yep. 
but then but then it still matters uh you got to have the like blade thickness perfect yep. and the yep. even the bearings have yep. to be the pockets and everything perfect. the stack up has to be really 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 yeah. close and yep. that's why folding knives are <laughs> way more complicated than like mm-hmm. they seem to be sometimes right it is funny that we all even on Bally's folders we all have a really tight tolerance stack up yeah yep you definitely have some other more critical stack ups and like the the stop pin and the lock up and all that but do you feel like there's other uh blade lock mechanisms do you feel like some of them are easier than uh the liner lock or frame lock designs yeah there definitely are some more straightforward i guess locks that like it's less cool but there's the um Oh crap! What is the name called? Where where it's like you have to press on the back of the blade. It's like a spine lock or something. Yeah, no, yeah, spine locks. Those are cool. I like spine locks a lot. Yep, spine locks are really good for for tools. I think for really for hard okay. tools. Yeah, because they're essentially it's a giant square wedge, so the thing's not going to close on you. Right. Um, I really like. Uh, do you know Snack X? Yeah. I've seen, yeah. Seen I love his his designs. Oh my god. Yeah. That guy, if you want to see someone use a Tormach to like an extreme degree, check out how do you spell it's it? S N E C X at S N E C X, I think. Yeah. I, I think he's, is he from uh, Singapore, maybe? I was thinking like Singapore, Singapore or Spain or something. I, I think it's in Asia. Uh, sorry. My jump. <laughs> if we get it my wrong. Geometry, Jesus. My, my graph, graphical, holy crap. The thing that involves, that involves the globe. It's not geology either, is it? <laughs> geography. geography. Yeah. My geography. Cartography. My geography and vocabulary are both really bad, apparently. Yeah. But uh yeah, he he does like crazy, yep. crazy stuff. I mean, like, he's like the definition of uh of um thorough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he sells very few knives, right? I, I thought they might be like I thought they might be like ten thousand dollars or something crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think he sells many. I don't know if he's maybe done some like some like production con like design work where he does the design and maybe another shop machines them and then he just does his his more custom stuff in house. I don't really know how it all works, but uh he's yeah. very, very impressive and very smart. Yep. But but his 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 super lock design is uh is really cool. But I, I think some other company took it. Like he I think I saw a post where he said he didn't want to patent it. Uh, but I think some company was using it and maybe he wasn't completely happy about I, it. I remember seeing a post like that. He yeah. Wanted, yeah mm-hmm. So hopefully everything's going on. Right. Uh, with that. But uh, yeah, his designs are crazy. Cause he also made like knives where you can completely disassemble yeah. them without tools. Yep. Everything just like clicks yep. together. I'd love to like see his shop for a day and just watch him work. Yeah. Should we uh, wrap it up? I think so. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that's about time. All right. Uh, thanks for watching. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah, yep. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. See you later. Bye now. <laughs>